0: Thank you. Hey there, and welcome to With XO, I'm XO, Jorge Olivares, X-O-R-J-E, that's why it's the X. And I'm excited because with my next guest, I always wanted to talk with somebody about what it means to be brown enough. I am a Mexican-American, third generation Mexican-American from the South Texas region. And I feel like I'm always competing with myself, competing with the world, competing with other Latinos, about what it means to be brown enough so it only makes sense to welcome the author of the book brown enough the host of the podcast brown enough and uh also as he as he brings it up and uh the host of a limited run series called ruby rosa which we're going to talk a little bit about too and the man's doing everything author actor podcaster also a phd candidate because you got to do all the things And so I'm excited to welcome Christopher Rivas to talk about what it means to be brown enough, what it means to be an actor at this moment, what it means to be an advocate for this particular cultural moment that we're in and how he's doing it with a smile on his face. Because if you've been watching uh, the press tour he's been on, he is constantly smiling and I wouldn't blame him because of everything that he's got going for him. So Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Uh, thank you for having me. I've been thinking a lot about smiling lately. I think I smile in general. I think that's like <laughs> a I think that's a thing I do. I've been told it's a it's a thing I do. And uh, you know Thich Nhat Hanh, the the great like Vietnamese Buddhist monk, he he always said and we know this scientifically like smiling actually relaxes the muscles on your face.
0: Okay, yeah, I can see that. I Which I
1: actually can't see. Like I have a hard time understanding <laughs> why cuz it's like You know, you're turning the corners of your mouth up and it's like, that's relaxing the muscles of my face. But, you know, science says it. So I've been thinking a lot about just uh, the relaxation we can get just by smiling.
0: If science says it, then it must be true. It must be true. (laughs) So uh, I do want to start about the, the press tour. You've been on a variety of different places promoting the book, as you rightfully should be doing. What has that entire journey been like being able to not only promote yourself, the work you've been doing and the kind of work you've been doing within yourself to answer the question about are you brown enough? But to constantly hear those words, brown enough, brown enough, brown mm-hmm. enough, how does that how does that all resonate with you?
1: Beautiful question, because I actually don't think I've I've thought about it. Like my initial impulse to what I was going to, you know, say to this question was I care less about the press and more about the idea that the medicine is now like it's out in the world. People are engaging with it. Um, sending me incredible messages, you know, writing beautiful reviews, like it's out in the world, but hearing what you just said about the term being in the language, Brown enough, Brown enough, Brown enough here, 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 you know, uh, live tv this blah, blah 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 it is so beautiful I'll, all right I'll, that's my pat on the back like okay the whole reason for writing this book was for creating a space for brownness in this black and white world i wanted to explore brownness what it meant to take up space in there you know, to love our brownness uh, how our brownness shows up in this race conversation and so i guess it is showing up right all of this press and all these times that people say brown enough, as you just said, means it is it is showing up. It's starting to take up space even more.
0: I I feel like I have to note, especially because for, for those of you who are viewing this, you will also be listening to this in podcast form. But if you're viewing this, uh, Christopher's wearing a cap that says bodega on it. And as a <laughs> New York native that he is, Uh, It makes sense that that's something that he's actively promoting, uh, because when you talk about um, identity, when you talk about this idea of brownness, at least my interpretation of brownness came from where I'm from, which is South Texas. And I can imagine that brownness, your interpretation of it and your first introduction to it came from where you're from. So talk a little bit about how New York and just those early years introduced you to what brown even meant
1: yeah so i'm from i'm from queens and queens is the most diverse place in the world like i actually think Mm -hmm. that's i think that's scientifically correct again science you know like i think we've got the numbers to say that specifically jackson heights like an area in queens is the most diverse place in the world that's a wild statement and and i had no idea how beautiful that was until you know 30 something years later uh, I'm working on this book, and I'm realizing that brownness surrounded me. The, the multiple colors, flavors, identities, cultures, um, sounds, rhythms of brownness were all around me, and that they couldn't be contained in a single box, right? Like, let's get clear. Brown is a beginning to a conversation of more inclusion, but it is not the end point, Uh, because you just said so beautifully your brown is not my bodega brown you know Mm -hmm. and my bodega brown is is not someone's uh miami cafe con leche brown and and uh cafe con leche brown is not my pakistani south asian friends brown um but i do think there is more brownness in this world than anything else hands down I, i believe that with my whole heart and and so that's my upbringing. I'm from Queens. I'm from a very diverse area in Queens. My pops was the super of 164 unit building in Queens, which means I got to know a lot of different people very intimately. Uh, you know, those 164 people were my brothers, sisters, uh, friends, babysitters. And and that was so incredibly that taught me more than any book could ever teach me about diversity about inclusion, about love, about generosity. And so I'm very proud of where I came from. You know, like, sure, I'm Dominican, I'm Colombian, I'm brown, but I'm also a New Yorker, and I hold that in high regard. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
0: as you should. I feel like it's, it's a very rare commodity when you can say that you're not only a native New Yorker, but you're a native New Yorker who has a particular background, which you do, as you just mentioned, Dominican, Colombian. I'm curious about if you can talk about the distinction between those two cultures and how they approach brownness, because I think if, tell me a little bit, if there, if there even is a distinction or if it was easy for you to kind of come into who you are because of each of those identities.
1: Yeah. Not easy for me to come into who I am because, because of so many things that come with the American dream and first generation parents and immigrant parents who who assimilate so unconsciously to give their child the life they never had to give them the life that this country says we can give them and so and so it wasn't easy to come into my own brownness that was a later exploration of realizing how much i was trying to be like whiteness actually and but I will, I will speak to the differences of those brownness because, because I also have to get honest, right? As a Dominican, the Dominican in my blood, if you are Dominican, it means that in your blood is one of the worst geno- genocides in the history of the world, right? An overnight genocide of the Haitians. And so what does that mean is in my blood, as much as there is beautifulness in my blood, there is, there's also intense anti-blackness an intense possible hatred of oneself. And so exploring my brownness and being enough for my version of brownness also means looking at that, looking at why my black grandmother is not black, but she black, but she not black. That's one half of me. And then you have another half, which is uh, Colombian and also beautiful and flavorful and unique, uh, incredible you know sancocho and uh incredible salsa and cumbia but also one of the largest slave trades in the history of the world which i don't think gets spoken about a lot but we a lot of african slaves went to colombia and we took those african slaves and we put all of them after we made them work for us we uh We put them in Cartagena. We took all of them and put them in one place and we called it the Chocolate City, which is also something we used to call Washington, D.C. So that's in my blood, right? I think coming to the fullness of who you are means you don't just get to be like, yo, I'm the best, I'm this, I'm that. Oh, my gosh, look how great we are, blah, blah, blah. It also means there's probably some things in there that your ancestors can teach you that are not so beautiful but will add to your fullness And will allow you to be a more present being on this planet and so i would say those are sort of two ways i i look at my two sides you know i look at their music sure i look at their food i look at their their love i look at the way they play dominoes differently but i also look at their history because being brown also means we are constantly navigating you know pro-whiteness which says mobility success moving up the social ladder and anti-blackness and so that was sort of my journey of of uncovering my brown enoughness
0: would you say that there's ever been a time before the podcast before the book before this notion of brown enough as the entity that it is today uh was there ever a time where that question just like or i should rephrase and say When was the first time you remember asking yourself that question?
1: Well, it didn't really exist until, well, two moments, you know, discovering Porfirio Rubirosa in college, this Dominican man who James Bond was based on. I was a young theater student in a mainly white conservatory. As a little kid, I wanted to be James Bond. I had all my little Nerf guns strapped around me while I was in my underwear, pretending to be Bond.
0: <laughs> As one does.
1: As one does, you know, pretending to be a white British dude. And it hit me. Like it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yo, I was pretending to be some white dude. What if I was pretending to be my pops? What if I was pretending to be myself? What if I was pretending to be like the people in Queens, most of Queens? How would my life have been different? Would I have cared? Would I have loved myself more? So that's like one moment where I'm like, whoa, I'm not like everybody else. I have a unique experience. I have tried to, you know, I want to work in Hollywood. So does that mean I'm trying to be like the white boys on TV? You know, is this why my manager tells me to get a nose job and cut my hair and blah, 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 blah. And then seeing Ta-Nehisi Coates nehisi uh, Coates, genius, writer, thinker, philosopher, uh, being, and he speaks about black and white in America and race. And I got to see him seemingly by chance, had no idea who he was. And I asked him as a dominican Colombian brown kid from Queens, like, where am I in the conversation? And he said, not in it. And so I went home really wondering what it means to be in it. And where am I? And where, you know, the millions like me. And that those were the two moments where brownness really really washed over me and really made me face it. What does it mean to be proud? What does it mean to be able to navigate a bit of both sides? Uh, and how do I take ownership of that?
0: Yeah. Would you say you were angry, sad, or neither in response to being told, well, you're not even a part of the conversation?
1: All of the above. It was a, it was a true, I think, I think shattering moments. Like, I don't think being shattered is a bad thing. I'll just put that out there. Like, That's fair. Yeah. I think, I think being shattered is an opportunity to uh, break some stories about who you are. Like being cracked open is an opportunity to actually meet yourself. Uh, you thought you were a vessel of of certain worth that could hold so much, and then you get cracked open. And you're like, oh, I can hold so much more. I can be so much more. Um and so it was all of it it was a moment of anger it was a moment of anger of like that's your answer like you you're you want to pull a surprise and then like your answer is three words <laughs> you know it is yeah like bro give me some more um and it was also one of like ah oh, but you are a, you are a brilliant man and, and and less is more and maybe you're right and so it was it was medicine and sometimes medicine don't taste so good uh, and so I had, I had all of these, I had all the feelings at once, you know, enough to make me go in exploration, write it all down and get a book out of it.
0: So let's talk about the book because I I want to note for, for folks that it's called Brown Enough, true stories about love, violence, the student loan crisis, Hollywood, race, familia, and making it in America. And so I, I wonder if we can kind of tackle some of these things one by one because it, it's quite fascinating to me that you've outlined it in this particular way so if, if we can let's start with the first thing that's outlined here which is the love part uh, <laughs> talk talk a little bit about how your identity how being brown in the world has impacted your your view of love uh, because I think kind of to the points that you mentioned before, either being first generation and coming from an immigrant background, expressions of love can be a little bit different than those of our counterparts that we encounter on our day-to-day basis. Um, So let's, let's tackle love first, if we can.
1: Isn't every piece of art that someone makes kind of about love? (laughs) Like.
0: I would, one would it, hope so, right? Like you, you know, you put your love into it, and, and your love for either the art itself, or for people who you want to see it or or experience it.
1: Uh, love stories, you know. I think top to bottom, this is a this is a book about love because there's a love for my family, right off the top, right. There's a love for Queens. There's a love for. for for the brownness I knew about. There's a love for the little kid who didn't like who he was. There's a love for the uh, adolescent, young adult in me who made a lot of dumb decisions in order to try and find himself. You know, <laughs> as we all like, do. As we all do. There's there's just f- full of love in here. There's a love for Tanahashi Coats, right? There's a love for Porfirio Rubirosa. There's there's a love and there's uh, the opposite of that for all of these things in my life um so i think love is in this thing top to bottom you know there's a love for everyone fighting the good fight everybody of culture who walks out into the world with enough courage to say i am worth it right it's 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 love top to bottom um it's it's exploring my love literally in dating, right? It's it's me looking at dating white women and race and love and right. So it's it's the more stereotypical view of love, and it's also the more Zen, holy, all expansive love is a state of being versus a thing you do. Uh, exploration of love, and I hope it's filled with that top to bottom. You know, it's a love of John Leguizamo. It's a love of theater. It's a love of acting. It's a it's a love of my curls. It's it's a love of even America, which pisses me off. It's <laughs> all of it.
0: <laughs> I I love that it's the so I mentioned that we were going to try to break down each of the things that are included in the the subheader of the the book itself, and I'm curious that it started with love. What was the the decision to have love be the first in that long list of things that we
1: encountered? <laughs> I mean, we it was a lot of it was a lot of versions. Like we I. I like this
0: is draft number 35 we had all these different <laughs> mock-ups
1: like at first the publisher pitched this long subtitle to me they pitched it they were like i think i think this is it like i want to do a callback to old old older books used to do longer subtitles right and then books kind of became about fixing your problems so like you know uh brown enough uh how to make it in America, you know, ways in which, you know, like a a very simple sort of guidebook. But my my publisher pitched this thing. And at first I was like down, I was down. I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know? And then when I saw it, I was like, it's too long. It's too long. (laughs) And I think that's a, that's a lack of courage in me. Right. That's a lack of courage. I didn't believe that. I didn't believe that anyone could believe that I could speak to these things, that many things. I, I got shook. I got shook when I saw it. And I tried, to, I, tried to end, I tried to stop it. And I hit up my book agent. I hit up the publisher. I hit up my manager. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's too long. What do you think? And, and we're all talking. Everyone's talking. And, and then eventually everyone's reading. And, and people are like, but it is about this. And I'd be like, all right, well, let's cut this. And they'd be like, no, but it is about your family. And you'd be like, all right, well, let's cut race and they'd be like, that's impossible. It's literally about race. And then you'd be like, all right, let's cut this and be like, No, but it is about this. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, It's like I
0: can't kill my darlings. There's so many different themes that are attached to this book that it makes sense to to allow the reader, the potential reader to see what they're in for.
1: And so I really thank my my team because because I, I lost faith for a sec, you know, I lost I lost courage, I lost conviction. You sit with your baby for so long, you forget. You know, you don't know what it's. It just felt like gibberish. The all of it felt like gibberish. I was like, no, this ain't good. This can't. No. Nah. this this thing. Like, <laughs> I don't even know. Um. So I I thank the outsiders who guided me, who kept me f- strong to keep going in this direction. And so maybe that's why I love goes first as well, right? Because it took a lot of love just to, just to keep this subtitle.
0: Hmm. I so I said we were gonna tackle a little bit. I I want to skip violence for a second and, and go to the student loan crisis. I started by mentioning that you are a PhD candidate. You are pursuing higher education. Uh, presumably you have gone through so many hoops to be able to, to just get to this point because of the way that the, the education system is set up, sometimes not to benefit those of us who, who look brown enough. Um, but let's talk about why that gets its own notification that that we, we should be focusing on this particular crisis and how it affects how we view ourselves in American society.
1: Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, the salespeople at Simon and Schuster were more, you could say raised, you could say all this stuff. And they were like, yeah, whatever. And then they were like, student loans. Oh, yeah. I like this. You know, like that was there. <laughs> this is the that one that should stay age. no matter what. Yeah, that was their in, with student loans. And I was like, oh, wow, interesting. Um, the title of the chapter, the student loan chapter, is called The American Dream. I think America is the first pyramid scheme. You know, I think it, uh, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't exist as an idea for you or me. It's not. It, it wasn't made for us. It was made to extract from us, but not to regenerate us or nourish us or hold us even. Student loans to me are a direct example of how much society tells you to be the best, but doesn't actually want to help you be the best. You know, wants to take from you, literally, um, and doesn't want to give back to you. And, and I feel wildly grateful, especially as an artist. You know, I have six figures of student loan debt. Like, As an artist, one of the most valuable things you need is time, time to pursue your art. And student loans have absolutely destroyed art, I think, in this country. Because so many young people took these astronomical loans, which is criminal, with big hopes and dreams and then they they got out and they were victimized you know they were like well you made a stupid mistake no one told you to do that you know uh and then they were never able to pursue their art because they needed two three jobs they had to walk dog you know they had to walk a dog on the weekends and then they had to like be a barista and then do this and then you know take the postmate job and, and and where is the time to be an artist to think to process to breathe to enjoy your life And so I have a deep, 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 deep battle, love, gratitude, anger towards America, towards the student loan crisis, towards higher education, um, towards the lack of education about higher education, towards the lack of education about finances and all of this. And uh, it's the chapter in my book that I am most proud of that was the hardest to write that I think is the most honest Um, really seeing this country as like, man, I got lucky, you know, and knowing that in this country, sometimes your ass got to get lucky. (laughs) Uh, And I got lucky and, and it's a big goal of mine to start a scholarship fund for young Brown kids who want to study theater. And that is a huge, that's like a, top of my list goal. And uh, that is my way of sort of fighting that system. Yeah. So that's why it gets its own category.
0: I love that. I, I am going to ask this question and I don't want to at all take away from the overall usage of the word in how it's utilized in the book. But everything you just described about how this country isn't built for us, particularly people that look like you and I Um, people who are from quote-unquote marginalized communities as they themselves see themselves to be marginalized. Do you see that as violent? Considering I said we were going to skip that word violence.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, 1,000%. This country is violent in its ways of abuse, of extraction. We are a product for them. We are product for an arrow that must go, 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 go. You know, the, the growth model, the, the capitalism, consumerism model is an arrow that must continue to move upwards by any means necessary. And whenever you say by any means necessary, it means you will take from people and from planet by any means necessary. No looking back. And this country is built not to look back, but to look forward, 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 forward. And when I think about brownness, I'm actually thinking about looking back, stepping off the wheel, getting off the arrow, looking at indigenous ways of restorative, uh, restorative, regenerative ways of looking at love, looking at climate, looking at the, the planet, looking at education looking at story you know uh yeah so i think it is very violent because it's this this country in order for it to continue to grow is is going to have to take violent measure and has taken violent measures forever and will continue for likely past my lifetime um but there is you know there is hope
0: again i don't want to diminish or take away from how that word violent is seen by people, especially when it comes to physical violence, um, emotional violence, uh, from whoever it comes from, either people who are in power, people who are a part of the quote-unquote majority. Um, and when you talk about people who are in the quote-unquote majority, it's difficult to not address Hollywood. And I will say that it was... Uh, that's how I became aware of your work a couple of years ago when you called attention to some of the difficulties of Hollywood. And I think one of the things that you called attention to was your curly hair and how there was all sorts of interpretations of what um, a Latino actor should look like or somebody who's playing a particular character should look like. So let's, let's tackle Hollywood a little bit. You live in LA now, um, you, you're an actor. So what has Hollywood been doing this whole time for you?
1: I want to challenge the quote unquote majority, right? I use the term global majority. We are the global majority.
0: Yes. Uh, Thank you for that.
1: We are the global majority. And I think it's, what numbers did I hear? 49% of millennials identify as multicultural. 51% of Gen Z identify as multicultural, right? We are becoming more culturally fluid.
0: And living in the hyphen.
1: Yeah. Living in the hyphen. Beautifully said. Now, Hollywood thinks it is the representation of the majority, and that is the dream that it sells us. That is the image it has sold us for a very long time. And the thing about images is they are powerful. They are wildly powerful. Even if we don't believe them, they are powerful if we see them. And if we see them enough, that is literally how hypnotism and like brainwashing works. That is how it works. Hollywood plays a part in this, whether they know it or not. And they have for a very long time, since the silent picture days, like, uh, and media. I think when I say Hollywood, I'm also talking about just media in general, right? Let's look at magazines, billboards, images, anything that is telling you what is worth being displayed on a larger screen. Don't ask me why, but I fell in love with it. I was a real young kid. <laughs> I, I was a real young kid and and I wanted, I, I loved it. I loved everything that the TV and the movies had for me. I loved it from the moment I saw Peter Pan on Broadway in fifth grade. You know, I loved it. I saw Freak on Broadway. I, I got, God bless. I was born in New York and I got to see theater like, and I loved it. And I loved what the stage allowed me to be and I, and And I love what television has the potential to allow me to be at times. It can also really hurt me, you know, when it wants me to be drug dealer, bag boy, line cook, uh, immigrant, this, that, uh, and, and so, yes, I'm, I'm an actor in Hollywood. I am not a martyr. I'm a working actor in Hollywood. I'm extremely grateful for it. Uh, it is because of my love for it. I can call out its obvious flaws, and, and I can challenge it. And my goal in Hollywood, it is nice to receive fat checks. Like I said, I got a lot of student loans, y'all. It is even better to sign them. And nothing will change in Hollywood until the global majority is signing it. Until people who look like you and I, and I imagine many of your listeners, are the ones signing the checks, not just receiving the fat checks. And so that is a goal of mine, is to become a check signer. Versus a, uh, you know, it ties into my student loan, like my uh, scholarship fund, right? I want to sign checks. I want to be able to give them more than receive them. Then the images start to change. Then HBO doesn't take, you know, five shows off the air uh, centered around bodies of culture because they're returning to their prestigious roots, which really just means they're white roots.
0: I you mentioned the sort of different categories of characters that Latino actors normally go for, um, even though it was gender specific in this particular case. But what is there a role that is part of these quote unquote stereotypical archetypes that you would actually would be excited to pursue because of how you can breathe life into that role, um, or? Is that something that you just don't want to actually actively be a part of?
1: I mean, I've done them all. I, every role I said is one I have played. Like, literally, I've, I've, I have I've think I've hit most. I've done drug dealers, you know. I've done criminals. I've done bad boys. Yeah, I've done line cooks. I've done an immigrant in search of, you know, like, what was that? Oh, something like that on some medical show. Uh, you know, like, I've done them. <laughs> one of the MDs. Yeah, I've, I've done them all. Um, the role I'm excited about I'm trying to be in a when Harry met Sally I'm just trying to be me
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm just trying to be me like and that's what we need right When I have a play The Real James Bond was Dominican and we, we got to do it in New York and this young theater student at Pace came up to me after and he said you know I thought I needed heroes and superstars looked like me but after seeing this i realized i just need normal beautiful brownness i'm blessed i need normal people telling their stories i need to see normal people more often you know getting love being worth it being enough and so that's the role i'm excited about you know just put me just put me as a lead in a rom-com not because i'm latin dominican brown you know just put me <laughs> in it because I'm I'm a person worth putting in a rom-com.
0: And don't and have these people not feel the need to make your name Gustavo, Rodrigo, yeah. something that is is meant to call attention to your brownness when sometimes all that needs to be called attention to is your humanity.
1: Yeah. Like that's 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 what I'm sort of manifesting and and putting out there.
0: So I want to return to the titling again of the book. It's called Brown Enough, True Stories About Love, Violence, The Student Loan Crisis, Hollywood, Race, Familia, and Making It in America. So we've had a chance to touch upon quite a bit of them. There it is. Show the people. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about race. And I'm going to make it a bit of a quick question in that I feel like I still have difficulty. And I say this as somebody who was a Chicano Studies major. Uh, I still have difficulty in choosing what race I am in certain forms and surveys. What race do you choose or which one do you gravitate to? And do you still have difficulty choosing one?
1: Yeah. I try to do none. (laughs) Like (laughs) I try try to do none or or other. Uh, I, I don't like supporting the census. It doesn't support me. It's not, you know, it's not here for me. Um, There isn't a box that can contain us. There's not, you know. We're we're seeing this now more vocally in in gender. Uh, It's everywhere. There isn't a box that can contain your race, your ethnicity, your nationality, your uh, your gender. I want the no box, or I just want the box that says everything, all of the above. Um, but I know that they want to put us in boxes. I know that they want to put us in our tribe. I know that they want to put us in our place. Those go very closely together. Uh, and I don't like to participate in that if I don't have to. And normally I'm pretty good at not having to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll keep that over there. Yeah. Uh, I feel like one of the most important when it comes to the understanding of being brown enough it stems with the familia part of it and getting that definition from them either by example, by language, by word. Talk about the role that familia has played for you. I love that when you introduce the Brown in a podcast, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts, especially the one you're listening to now. Um, but you, we hear your dad's voice. And, and I love that already from the get-go, we understand where you're rooted. So let's let's bring up the familia a bit if we can.
1: You know, for better or worse, we are our—it's like a therapist. So we are our like <laughs>
0: we representations nurturer. of our of our parents.
1: You know, nature, nurture, and, and their representations of their parents, and and their you know, um, we're all in this thing together, doing our best. And I got really lucky at some point in my adult life. <laughs> I decided to re-meet my parents as people, not parents. I decided to take the time to really get to know them and ask them questions, knowing that I didn't need them to take care of me. They don't need me to take care of them. Like we can hang like as if I just met you at the bar And, and that has changed our relationship. It has allowed me to appreciate them more, not be mad at them, not hold grudges against them. Why didn't you do this? Why? I could do that for days. We could all do that for days. Why didn't you? Or why did you do this or why they are doing their best? My, my parents were doing their best. (laughs) Like, uh, both my parents had fairly shitty upbringings. Um, abusive upbringings, right? Like they just did their best with the skills and the hope and the love that they had inside of them. And for that, I am wildly grateful. And I am a part of them and they are a part of me. And that is how we can, you know, begin to break epigenetic trauma, but also embrace epigenetic genius. Also embrace the medicine that they have to offer us if we let it. The brilliance that our ancestors have to offer us, the guidance. Um, And so, familia is a big part of me and my work. Uh, Yeah.
0: It's one of those things where we understand what it means to survive by the actions and sometimes non actions of our parents, about family members. And I think if we can stay with this theme of survival, that's how we're going to talk about that last part of the title about making it in America and in surviving the obstacles that have been put in place, either systemic obstacles, our own personal obstacles that we think are there that might not be there. And we've been gaslit to think that they're there. However, however we see the, uh, the, the need to survive play out. Let's talk yeah, about so in a, America.
1: There's a chapter in the book titled, towards the towards the second half it's titled sacrifice my identity i'll do it i will do anything to survive these are the words that elijah mcclain used the night he was murdered by police in aurora colorado as he was being restrained we have him on uh on camera saying you know please stop i will do anything to survive sacrifice my identity, I will do it. I will do anything to survive. I believe that for too long, bodies of culture have been brainwashed into the idea that we must do anything in order to survive. And that if we want to even start the race, we have to work twice as hard just to get to the starting line. Just to get there. I mean, win. you want to win, you got to you got to go full, full beast mode, (laughs) full, full hustle mode, full don't sleep, full all those corny ass lines in a CrossFit gym, you know, like um, sweat is fat crying this like I'll sleep when I'm dead. All this aggressive language towards more, 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 more. I felt like I got dangerously close to burnout, dangerously close to what's next, what's next, what's next without appreciating what's here. I still feel like I battle that. And I didn't want that. When I think about sustainability, this word that gets sold to you a lot regarding the planet, which is important, trust me, big part of the book also. Like,
0: <laughs> uh, Let's not avoid it.
1: But what, like, what is a sustainable living? I just want to go to bed in peace and wake up in peace. And as bodies of culture, I think that's really hard for us because we have so much we want to prove. We have this chip on our shoulder. You know, whiteness has told us we are not enough. It has shown it to us and it has told us in secret ways, in loud ways, in whispers, in violent ways, in images. Uh... And I want to, I want to take back my enoughness. I want to unplug from whiteness. And we have seen the matrix. It is aggressive to wake up. It is aggressive to unplug, but it is worth it. And so, to me, making it in America feels less like, less Trumpian, less, uh, you know, less egomaniac, less, more, more, more. Um, less Barack Obama, I became president. Like, to me, making it in America, even Barack only paid off his student loans in his second term, y'all. So it affects everybody. Mm -hmm. The con and the dream affects everybody. Like, do I have to become president twice to pay off my student loans? You know, to me, making it in America means unplugging from whiteness, going to bed in peace and waking up in peace and loving who you are. Knowing that your cup isn't full after whiteness told you you made it and they approve of you and you're enough. And uh uh-uh, uh, your cup is full right here, right now. That to me is making it in America.
0: I. I want to know we've been talking about the title of the book, but again, the book title is the same as the new podcast title, which is available wherever you stream your podcast. And if you want to listen to Rubirosa, which was the limited series that Christopher did, it's on the same feed as Brown Enough. But let's end we spent talking a good portion talking about that that subheader, that subtitle for the book. Let's return to the actual title of Brown Enough. And and let's let's end with. Will there ever be a moment where you've reached the enough?
1: Mm. Or
0: are you excited to, to be on this, this journey to, to find it because it will constantly be evolving for you?
1: I don't believe there's a finish line in anything. D- death. Death is a finish line. Like, I will be complete when I die. You know, I'll be complete. I'll be done. I'll be enough. Like, there's two options. I become enlightened right here, right now.
0: In this very moment, you know, and I'm like,
1: and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not on the rat race. I don't need to do anything. I'm good. Like I'm free. And then there's death. And I like, oh, I took all the workshops I could take. I did all the things I could do. I had, you know, there's no, there's no better or worse after that. You did it. Completion. In that sense, I think enoughness is really fluid, which is how I want to live my life in a more fluid way, in a more expansive way in a more generous and kind way. To me, the idea of fluidity is, is really about kindness. Kindness with where I am today. And that where I am today might not be where I'm at in you know 15 minutes. Um, today, I feel enough. There are days where I don't. I saw an incredible movie last night with an incredible performance. And I did not feel enough. I felt like I hadn't even scratched the surface. Like I got more to give. I got more to prove. Like, where's, how come I'm not, I want that role. Like I need these roles. What's up? Like where am I? You know, that the narratives, the storytelling, the, the, the train, uh, the noise in the head. And so like, I just want a quieter, I feel really enough when there's, when there's, when I have a quiet mind and a restful heart, uh, so will there be a finish line one of these days there will be uh and my enoughness is more than when i was a child i can say that like i think the i think the base point raises right you have i have less lows and less high highs and what i'm trying to do is just have a more fluid center a more grounded center a larger center um more equanimity the ability to hold more things in a graceful way.
0: Dang, I love that word. I've never <laughs> heard that word before, so I'm gonna be writing that shit down. So equanimity, that. Is, equanimity
1: is equanimity's great. It's uh, it's an idea in in Buddhism of becoming larger. Like the idea is that when you're born, you're a baby, you're a, you're a you're a thin stick, and you get knocked around by the waves, far to the left, far to the right. It lifts you high. It lifts you low. And the idea of equanimity is, can I get, can I get more rooted? Can I get larger, you know, more expansive, more rooted into the earth, more rooted into the sky, you know, more East, more West, so that when the wave comes, it doesn't knock me as far. It might still knock me, but it don't knock me as far, you know? And then eventually you are so fat you are the wave, you are the sky, you are the ground you know you ain't getting knocked around because you are the thing itself equanimity
0: nice Well, for everybody who's getting a chance to watch this or listen to this, this is only a bit of the surface that you'll be able to encounter when you listen to the show itself, Brown Enough, which you can listen to wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up the book. It is available wherever you buy books. And if you're still curious about, there it is, Brown Enough. And if you're still curious about the story of Porfirio Rubirosa, then go to the Brown Enough RSS feed, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and you'll be able to listen to all 10 episodes of that particular series. Uh, Christopher, where can people follow you for more information about the show uh, for just to, to see what you're up to after this?
1: Yeah. So Instagram is probably the most active platform. Christopher double underscore Rivas. There's also Twitter, Chris double underscore Rivas, but then there's also my website that has all the things. Um, that's just Christopher Uh Always making things really grateful to be able to do that and share things with y'all. And, uh, I look forward to having conversations with y'all and reach out. Um, I like dad jokes. So, send me something like, <laughs> <laughs> do. I like really corny jokes. Uh, so, send them my way. Um, and I appreciate you and, and, and your community. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thanks for joining me today.